Let's just lift our hearts to the Lord. Father, thank you so much for your grace, your love, your mercy towards us. We ask that your presence would be great in this place today. We pray that our hearts would be receptive to your word. We pray that your word will bring increase in our lives in every area. Bless the pastor with strength. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, Claude. I want to start today with a question that you don't have to answer out loud. I just want you to answer it in your heart, in your own mind. The question is this. Are you focused? Are you focused? Turn to your neighbor and say, are you focused? Are you focused? Right. And if your neighbor said, I'm sorry, what did you say? I was just texting my mom. I didn't catch that. Then that means they're not focused. Okay. Is your life defined by alignment and clarity and direction or is it sort of scattered and diffused and overly busy and chaotic that's a question you don't have to and you know what if you're sitting next to your spouse don't answer that question for them just leave them alone uh they can answer that question for themselves there's a uh, a recent study by um some researchers from, from Harvard University, they sampled over 15,000 adults. And they found that these 15,000 adults, on average, during their day-to-day activities, 47% of the time, they were thinking about something other than what they were doing. They were distracted. You can put that on a mission uh, uh, sign up there, Bob. Uh, They were thinking about something other than what they were currently doing. They were not focused. And I think that we all, if we're honest, find that there are times where we may be doing one thing, but we're actually thinking about something else. We're distracted. We're not focused. The other day I was with a group of pastors, and we were trying to get together. We were going to try to align our calendars because we were all going to get together. We were going to pray for the region. We were going to pray for one another's ministries and all that kind of thing. And so one of the guys says, well, let's just get out our calendars and let's just schedule it. So we all pull out our, you know, our iPhones or whatever we've got. But the problem with the iPhone is that the email app is right next to the calendar app. And they're just so close, those two apps. So I'm wanting to push the calendar app so I can, you know, figure out what days I'm available. But I thought, you know what, it's going to take them a minute. I'll just hit the email app real quick. So I hit the email app and there's like seven guys all standing around and did that thing where, you know, you start getting absorbed. Like I started reading some emails. I'm like, oh, <laughs> oh yeah, that's funny. And, you know, and I'm reading the email. And then I realized that it just got silent all around me. And I look up and like all six pastors are looking at me like expectantly. And finally, one of them says, does that date work for you, Brent? And I was like, um, what date was that again? It's because, you know, you, you know, it's very easy to get sidetracked. And my son, my, my, my five-year-old, he's got an artistic temperament. It's easier for some people to get distracted than others. He's got this artistic temperament. And, you know, when we need to get out the door on Sunday morning to get to church, I become like the drill sergeant of the house. And I'm like, all right, guys, come on, we got to go. And Jameson, it takes him, you know, 20 minutes from the kitchen to the front door because there's so many interesting things between those two locations, right? Like, uh, uh, you know, the plaster on our old U-City house. There's so many weird and interesting designs that he can look at, right? A piece of lint floating through the air with the sunlight beaming through. It's just like, wow, you know, eight minutes can go by as he follows the lint. But the truth is, 
all of us in our faith life can get distracted and we can lose focus on the mission to which God has called us. All of us as Christians, and I don't assume that everybody here is a Christian, but I want to talk to the, those of you who have given your life to Jesus and you're, you're committed to him and he's changed you and transformed you. You are on a mission. And our mission is actually very, very simple. I'm going to give it to you. And I'm going to give it to you about 10 times during this sermon. But our mission is quite simple. It's to draw close to God, to draw intimate, to get intimate with God, to get closer to him, right? To, to, to draw close to his love, his mercy, his grace, and then to communicate that to everyone that we meet. It's to get empowered by God and then empower others with the grace and the mercy and the love of Jesus Christ. That's it. It's extremely simple. But in our day-to-day activity, we can totally get off track. We can totally lose our focus. If you look at the book of Philippians, this is Paul writing. Paul was a guy who had a lot going on in his past, good things and bad things. And this is what he says in Philippians chapter 3. He says, one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Then he says, let those of us who are mature think this way. He says, I'm going to forget what's behind and I'm straining forward to the mission to which God has called me. I'm not going to get distracted by my past the successes, the victories, or the failures. I'm not going to get distracted by the peripheral matters of the world. I'm not going to get distracted by the pleasures and the problems and the frustrations of life. I'm going to press forward toward the goal of knowing the resurrection power of Christ in my life and then transmitting that to other people, bringing the love of Jesus into the lives of other people. That is it. If you want it in a very simple, clear, right-downable kind of way, it's to know God and make him known. That's your mission. That's our mission as a church, as a family, to know God and to make him known. We know him by reading his word, by praying, by fasting, by spending time with other Christians, by engaging in life groups and and building community with one another. And then we make him known through serving and loving and bringing the gospel to people. And we do it every day and we do it everywhere. We do it in the classroom. We do it in the medical examination room. We do it in the courtroom. We do it in the school. We do it in the, in the lunchroom, on the bus. We do it wherever we are. We bring the love of Christ to other people by the way we treat them, by the way we act toward them, by the way we love them, by the way we communicate with them. That's our mission. Every single one of us is on a mission. Amen. Amen. Uh, this is uh, Martin Luther King uh, weekend. And we celebrate, you know, if you want to talk about a man that was on a mission, this is a guy who had a mission and, and through all of these problems and peripheral matters and issues that he faced, he stayed focused on that mission. And I was struck, I've, I've read pieces of this letter before, but I want to just read a, a bit of it this morning. He wrote a letter from the Birmingham jail. Uh, and it was, it was a, uh, it was a letter that was actually in response to a number of pastors that had written him. A number of Christian pastors had written him saying, hey, you know, you should lay off on all of these activities. And he wrote back saying, and I'll read a piece of it, but what he said was, you guys are letting go of the mission. See, you should be on my side. We should be working for justice and peace 
together. So, and, and, and this is what, this is what he said. And it's, it's sort of, uh, it's challenging. Uh, it's challenging to all of us to help us not get distracted by our own complacency. He says, wherever the early Christians entered a town, the power structure got disturbed and immediately sought to convict them for being disturbers of the peace. But they went on with the conviction that they were a colony of heaven and had to obey God rather than man. They were small in number, but big in commitment. They were too God intoxicated to be astronomically intimidated. They brought an end to such ancient evils as infanticide and gladiatorial contest. Things are different now, he said. And this is where he levels a charge at the church. He says the contemporary church is so often a weak, ineffectual voice with an uncertain sound. It is often the arch supporter of the status quo. Far from being disturbed by the presence of the church, the power structure of the average community is consoled by the church's silent and and often vocal sanction of things as they are. What he's saying is, church, make sure that you stay focused on the mission because we are on a mission from God. It's God's mission, and he's called each and every one of us to bring it to the world. He said, be disciples and make disciples. Bring justice, bring peace, bring love, bring the gospel to your brothers and sisters wherever they are. Amen. All right. I'm going to, I'm going to talk just very quickly today. We're not going to, um, this is not going to be a long sermon because we're going to do an exercise at the end. Um, and, and so I want to keep a couple minutes for you to do that, but I want to talk for just a minute about three sort of main categories of distractions that deter you from staying focused on your mission. And no matter who you are or where you are, this is going to relate to you. There are three main categories, and I'll, and I'll give you the thumbnail versions of them first. Our past problems keep us from being focused on our mission. Our future fears, that's the anxieties, the worries, and all that kind of stuff, keep us from being focused. And then our daily diversions keep us from being focused and staying focused on our mission. I came across an article this week that I just found so fascinating. Um, it was about an Army officer... And, and he was a Japanese intelligence army officer from World War II. His name was Officer Onoda, Hiro Onoda. This is a picture of him right here. And what's fascinating about this story is Officer Onoda was an army intelligence officer. Officer. He was from Japan. He was sent from Japan to the islands of the Philippines in World War II, 1944. He was sent to this island in the Philippines. And he was told by his commanding officer, he said, stay the course. You get there, you fight, you spy on the enemy, don't surrender, don't commit suicide. I want you to just stay on the mission, and we will come and tell you when the war is over. But otherwise, you just stay and fight. And so Officer Anoda took this, this charge very seriously, because about nine months later, the, Jap- the Japanese surrendered to the Allied forces. The war was over. 1945, the war ended, okay? And some planes flew over the Philippines, because they knew that there were some soldiers there in the island, and the, the planes dropped some leaflets, and the leaflets said, hey, guys, the war is over. You can uh, come on out now, and everybody's going to go home, and it's all over. Well, Officer Noda got one of those, and he was in the jungle there in the Philippines. He got one of those leaflets. He read it over, and he said, mm, I, don't, I, don't believe, I don't believe this. I think this might be enemy propaganda. I'm going to keep fighting. So the war was actually over, but Officer Anoda said, I, you know, I think the war is still going on. So he kept fighting. 1946, he was still fighting. War ended in 45. 1947, 
Officer Anode is still fighting. Everybody else is gone. All the other soldiers, gone. 1948, Officer Anode, he's still fighting. He's in the jungle. He's hiding out. He's surviving. Whenever he would see soldiers or see anything, he would fight. 1950, he's still fighting. 1955, Officer Anode is still fighting. This is 10 years later. 1960, Officer Anode is in the jungle still fighting a war that ended in 1945. Officer Anode is getting old now. 1965, Officer Anode is still fighting. I'm not joking. This is, this is, this is, this is, this is real. 1970, Officer Anode is fighting a battle that ended in 1945. Finally, in 1974, the Japanese sent Officer Anode's commanding officer to the Philippines to go into the jungle and find him and say, Hey, Officer Anode, the war's over, man. You can totally stop fighting now. Uh, and, and Officer Noda just died this week, but he, he was, uh, you know, y- you'll, you have to admire him for his stick to it in this. But he was fighting a battle that had been long over. Let me ask you this. How many of you, in your heart of hearts, somewhere down there, you're still fighting a battle that is long over? Something in your past, somebody harmed you, somebody hurt you, somebody did something to you, and you are still stuck fighting that battle. Or maybe you did something in your past that you regret and you wish you hadn't done, and you are stuck fighting that battle. My in-laws got my my boys a record player. I don't know if you guys remember. Do you remember record players? Um, There they are. It's a very old, ancient contraption uh, that uh, they, they have a little needle. There's like a little needle right there. And this, this record is made out of vinyl. It's got grooves. Some of the young folks are like, what are you talking about? Wait till I bust out with the eight-track thing next, next Sunday. Um, the thing with, so, so my, my in-laws got my kids one of these. But the, the thing about vinyl, which is probably why we don't use it much anymore, is that if a, if a record gets a scratch on it, it just keeps doing the same thing, right? So it'll be like, um, I'll, be, I'll, I'll be walking upstairs and I'll hear on my boy's record play, be like, all the children of the, all the children of the, all the, right? And you're like, that is going to kill me. I'm going to have to find a way for that thing to get broken accidentally. But really, even though some of us may not realize it, We are playing a loop in our mind, some past regret or some past pain or some past hurt over and over and over again, and it keeps us from focusing on what God has for us. Amen? I want to free you from that today. I want to free you from the distraction of your past. Remember what Paul said. He said, forgetting those things... That are behind. It doesn't mean that he has no recall of them. It doesn't mean that he, his brain has been washed of the past. It means that he's not focusing on them. He's pressing forward toward the goal for the prize. He's pressing forward. He's focusing on the mission to which he's been called. Here's, here's how it's done, and it's very, very simple. I'm going to give it to you today, and if you haven't done this, do it. Forgive and be forgiven. Forgive and be forgiven. 
If you're still fighting some old battle from your past, from 30 years ago, in the jungle of your mind, let that go. Somebody harmed you. Somebody betrayed you. A spouse betrayed you. Some job didn't treat you right. Somebody treated you wrong. You may have suffered something very intense, abuse or or the loss of, of, of a loved one. Forgive. Forgive and be forgiven. The others of you are thinking, you know, it's not that I had harm inflicted upon me. I possibly inflicted harm on others. I was a person maybe who was sinful and did all sorts of bad things. And I and every time I think about moving forward in life, these old memories sort of surge up and I feel a pang of shame or guilt. And, and you know, I'm just sort of in that spiral and I can't I'm like that record player. I can't get out. Let Jesus forgive you. Let the blood of Jesus Christ cover your past, cover your sins so that you can move on in life. Amen. In Matthew chapter six, Jesus says, if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others, their sins, your father will not forgive your sins. Forgive and be forgiven. We're not quite there yet. Forgive and be forgiven. So that's number one. Number two, the second major distraction from your mission is fear about your future. You know this 47% of the time when your mind wanders? What does it wander to? Like if your brain is a screensaver and you're focused on one thing, but then when you sort of go into neutral, what is that neutral? What is that image that it goes to? Is it fear? about your future? Is it anxiety? Is it hand-wringing? Is it worry that things aren't going to work out right? Is it regret about your past? Fear about your future can absolutely sap you. That anxiety and stress and concern uh, about what's coming down the pipe can absolutely sap you, and it doesn't actually strengthen you. the the, The thing that's deceiving about worry is that it seems productive, because while you're worrying, you're saying, I'm being serious about this, right? But what you're, really, what you're really doing is you're not being serious about God. You're not putting your trust in God. You're taking yourself too seriously, and you're not trusting God enough. You're worried about things that haven't happened yet. When I was a kid, this is an embarrassing story, embarrassing personal anecdote. In fourth grade, Mrs. Miller handed out awards at the end of the year to all the kids in my class. And these would be like, you know, nicest hair, uh, you know, prettiest smile, I don't know, friendliest person, right? And so every kid in the class got an award. It was very, you know, equal that way. Um, And so Mrs. Miller is coming over and like, she's about to give me my award. And I'm thinking, this is going to be awesome because surely it'll be like, neatest guy award, right? Um, Sharpest tool in the shed, right? She gives me the award. I'm anticipating. I'm looking forward to it. I'm excited about it. I open it up, and it says, Worry Wart Award. That was the award. I'm not going to let that go. You know what? Forget what I said about the past. That wasn't cool for a fourth grader. Worry Wart Award. And so I'm looking at that, and I'm like, Huh. I'm a little worried about that because um, what does she think about me? And what does she think that other people think about me? And I wonder if I'll get this award next year. And all summer, I'm like, why did I get the Worry Award Award, man? 
not cool. Listen what Jesus says about worry and anxiety. Matthew 6, chapter 25, uh, chapter 6, verses 25 through 33. He says, therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life. Don't be anxious about what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Therefore, do not be anxious. Oh, let's see, he says, are they not more value? Are, are, are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? How many of you, by, by worrying, can change things like how tall you are or how long you're going to live? How, what does worry do? Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. He said, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all of these things will be added to you. Now, what does this mean? Does this mean that we don't work? Does this mean that we just blow off our responsibilities? Does this mean that we just kick back in the lazy boy and say, bring it, God, let me have what I'm owed, right? No. This means give everything of who you are to God. Everything of who you are at work. Do that as unto the Lord. Give that to the Lord. In your relationships, that belongs to God. At your school, that belongs to God. Every, in the way you treat your family, do that as unto the Lord. Everything you do, put God first. Seek his righteousness and his kingdom first, and the other stuff will be taken care of by virtue of you seeking the kingdom of God first in every aspect of your life. Don't worry, he says. Your heavenly Father will take care of you. So this anxiety about the future, that's going to derail you from your mission. And the third category is this. The third category are the daily diversions. The daily diversions that can derail you from following the mission. Focusing on the mission. And I'm not going to get way into them, okay, because we don't have a ton of time. But there are sort of three categories. One category is personal sins. Things that, that, that are just sinful in your heart that distract you from God. Th- and, and, and idols, if you will. Things that you put in front of God in your life. Another, another category are distractions over which you have no control. Things happen to you. You didn't plan it. You didn't do it. It wasn't your fault. Something happened to you, and it can divert you and distract you from the mission that God's called you to. And the third one are non-sinful distractions that mute your ability to focus on your mission. So they're not exactly sins, but they are, they are uh, <laughs> they're distractions. Um, Bob, you can take that picture off for a minute. Thanks. <laughs> Otherwise, everybody's going to be like, what is that dude doing sitting on the couch? Um, personal sins that distract you from your mission, uh, these, are, these are the basics. And, and we're going to get into a little bit of this next week. Um, but an excessive desire to please the body, putting too much emphasis on pleasing yourself. Uh, excessive pursuit of material possessions, that can distract you. Excessive admiration of yourself, that can distract you. Uncontrolled feelings of anger and hatred, that can distract you. Overindulgence, over overconsumption, these things can distract you from your mission. Uh, envy, sorrow for, envy is sorrow for another's gain and pleasure at another's loss. That can distract you from your mission. If you really want to get derailed, then start focusing on what somebody else is doing 
and 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 that will derail you very quickly from your own mission. Um, sins of omission, things that you should be doing that you're not doing. Uh, so those are the, sort of the personal sins that can derail you from your mission. Then there are distractions over which you have no control. This is like an unexpected illness or um, uh, an accident or uh, somebody outside of you know, your control. Somebody else does something to you and you weren't anticipating that. A disaster. Someone is hurt. Somebody else's illness. Uh, someone harms you. These are things that you didn't do, you didn't have control over, and yet you cannot let them derail you from your mission. The third category are the non-sinful diversions that result from your own willingness to be distracted. Now you can put that image back up there, Bob. I love this guy because he's sitting on the couch and he's thinking very hard about whether he should play on the computer or watch TV. He's going, man, which one should I do? I've got a computer and I've got a TV. I can lose hours of my day right here. And I just need to know which way to do it. Um, according to Business Insider, the average Facebook user <coughs> spends approximately 37 minutes per day on Facebook. I mean, I like Facebook. We have a Facebook page. If you haven't liked our Facebook page, spend only 30 seconds, but go on there and like it. Um, 37 minutes, that's about 4.3 hours per week. That's 19 hours a month. That's about 225 hours per year on Facebook. That's some... You know, that's some time. That's some significant time. If you, if you put that all together, that's the equivalent of taking a nine-day vacation, a nine-day vacation where 24 hours a day for nine days, you're just liking people on Facebook and reading posts. Do you have, do we have a nine-day span to do that? That's what we're doing uh, on average. According to the Nielsen Report, the average American over the age of two, I don't know why they started it at two, but the average American over the age of two spends more than 34 hours a week watching live television. I mean, that's crazy. That, that's 34 hours. That's like a full-time job. That's like, um, you know, that's including Saturdays and Sundays. Uh, and, you know, it, it's sort of like different depending on age, but... 34 hours on average, everybody from 2 to 92 or 102. Um, that's 1,800 hours per year on the couch channel surfing. These are not sins, but these are diversions. These are distractions from the call of the mission on your life. The thing is, l- let me read you one more passage. Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 and 2. Colossians says... If then you have been raised with Christ, if you have been raised with Christ, and what that means is if you've given your life to Jesus, if you've turned your life over to him, if you've been buried with him in baptism, right? And then if you've been raised with him into a new life. So if that's you, then here's what you you do. Seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind, he says, on things that are above, not on things above that are on the earth. Focus on the big picture. Focus on the mission. Focus on the purpose for which you have been born. Expand your mind to think about, focus on justice and peace and love and bringing the gospel and changing your world. We're doing that. Little by little here at U-City Family Church with these 
life groups that are going out and working in the community. We're, we're transforming people's lives. God is transforming people's lives. He's just using us to do it. But I, I want to tell you something. There is no greater joy, there's no greater satisfaction than spending your time and your energy and your money doing things that transform other people's lives and empower other people's lives. That's the truth. Paul is saying, go after what Jesus is going after. Chase what he's chasing. Dream what he's dreaming. Pursue what he's pursuing. Love what he loves. Don't settle for the temporal when you can have the eternal. Don't settle for the hookup when you can have the marriage. Don't settle for the lawn toys when you can have the keys to the house. Go after the big thing. Don't just try to get by. Go big. Go after what God has for you because what he has for you, the mission that he has for you is bigger than the mission that you have for yourself. He thinks bigger than you. He thinks more of you than you think of yourself. Go after it. I'm going to end with this. If you didn't hear anything else I said, hear this, all right? Your life matters. Your life matters. Your life counts. You're not an accident. Your life counts. And you, by God's grace and with the help of your brothers and sisters, can change the world. We can do that together. Believe that. Believe that you are on a mission. Let's get focused and let's go do this. Amen? Amen? Amen. All right. Did you receive a card when you came in here? There's a, there's a card that looks like this. And I'll tell you what we're going to do. It's got a perforation on it. If our welcome team could come up and make sure that everybody has one of these cards. If you didn't get a card, uh, you can raise your hand and make sure that everybody gets a card and a pen. And here's what I'm going to invite you to do, okay? This, is, this card here, it says, This year, with God's help, I resolve to do the following one thing to empower my family. Write down one thing. Strengthen my church. Write down one thing there. Build my relationships. One thing. Empower the members of my community. Write down one thing. Strengthen my health, physical and mental health. Write down one thing. Glorify God in my finances. Write down one thing. Glorify God in my education. Glorify God in my career. And here's what we're going to do with these. Al, if you wouldn't mind to come on up and play. Here's what we're going to do with these. We're going to give you guys a few minutes to fill these out and fill it out twice. Fill out the top one and fill out the bottom one. And then on, on the back... The top one, write your address. Now, here's the thing. Nobody here is going to read this. This is not for us to read. But what we're going to do is if you write your address on this, uh, then what we're going to do in November of this year, we're going to send it to you. We're just going to put a stamp on it, and we're going to send it to you in the mail. And what you do with this other one, this lower one, just keep it at your house. Put it on your refrigerator. Put it on your mirror. Put it on your counter and just look at it. Let it be somewhere where you can see it every day. Has everybody gotten one? There's still, come on up here, welcome team people. There's still some people that need them. Come all the way up to the front. Come all the way up to the front and then turn around and look and look that way. Anybody else need one or if you need a pen, they've got pens too. Here you go. Thank you, Jackie. How about our welcome team? Are they awesome or what? These guys are awesome. So take a couple minutes, fill this out. What we're going to do is, is, is after you have filled it out, tear off the top one, just like this. 
and then put your address on the top one. And, and in a minute, I'm going to invite you to put it in the basket. And like I said, nobody's going to read these. These are for you and you alone. We're just going to take them. We're going to put them in a box. We're going to pray about them all year. We're going to be praying about them. And in November, I've already calendared that, by the way. That's on my calendar. Uh, in November, we're just going to put stamps on them. And we're going to send them to you. This is us, like Paul, saying, hey, I'm going to forget about the past. I'm going to forget about the peripheral stuff that distracts me. I'm going to forget about, I'm not going to focus on all this other stuff. I'm going to focus on what God has called me to do. I'm on a mission in 2014. Amen? Just take a minute and fill that out.